For this episode of Metaphors Be With You, we'll be talking about the names of ships and what they mean to their owners. Hi, I'm Rob Hyard of Chipperish Media, and this is a podcast about symbolism and allegory in Star Wars. The movies, the TV shows, the books, and everything else. Each episode will take a topic and apply it across whatever Star Wars media seems most appropriate. Okay, when I was a kid, my grandfather had a sailboat, and I used to go sailing with him in the summers a lot. One of my favorite things to do on these trips was walk up and down the docks when we got places and read the names that people had given their boats. I also wondered what I would name a boat if I had one, and I could never settle on just one name in the long term. This kind of thinking is also why I don't have any tattoos, but that's a separate matter. Anyway, I've always been fascinated by what people and fictional characters choose to name their boats, or more relevant to this podcast, their spaceships. The first two ships we see in Star Wars are Leia's Corellian Corvette, the Tantive IV, and Vader's Star Destroyer, the Devastator. Tantive, if you didn't know, is a somewhat archaic word that means at a gallop, which seems pretty on the nose for a ship that's like two-thirds engine and whose most frequent job description is blockade runner. For what it's worth, Star Wars spells Tantive slightly differently, ending on an E instead of a Y, but I think it's probably not a coincidence. Devastator doesn't really require any explication, does it? A generic, scary Star Destroyer name to intimidate people in smaller ships, which is almost everybody. Probably the most important ship in Star Wars is the Millennium Falcon, whose name seems like total gibberish. These two words have nothing whatever to do with each other that I can find. Trying to parse it as literally as possible, maybe the idea is that it's the kind of falcon that only shows up once in a millennium? This tells me two things. First, there are apparently falcons somewhere in the Star Wars galaxy. And second, the ship was named to impress with fancy-sounding words rather than suggest anything. Remembering that Lando Calrissian was the original owner of the ship, I'm pretty okay with the second part, but remain suspicious about the idea of anything as mundane as a terrestrial bird of prey existing in the galaxy far, far away. Because the Falcon is essentially another character in the original trilogy, there are several other ships that take inspiration from it, like the Ebon Hawk from Knights of the Old Republic and the Moldy Crow from the Dark Forces video games. Both of these ships use this marvelously strange formula of a modifier to describe the ship's essence and a bird. Clearly, the writers of Star Wars video games have been trying to finagle their way into getting Lucasfilm to acknowledge the existence of birds for decades. Sana Staros, a relatively recent character introduced as Han Solo's estranged wife in the current Star Wars comics, has a ship called the Volt Cobra. This is presumably another name modeled on the nonsense of the Millennium Falcon, but trades the self-aggrandizement for two fairly different aggressive words which makes sense because Sana's a pretty aggressive, angry character when we meet her. One of the more interesting names in the Star Wars ship canon is Boba Fett's ship, Slave One. For years, I had no idea why this ship was called what it was, except maybe just to be vaguely sinister. But in Attack of the Clones, we find out that Boba's father, Jango Fett, flew the same ship It was the original template for the clone army, which could pretty reasonably be described as the slave army. So maybe the ship is named for Jango's status as the first of the slaves? I confess I don't really think that George Lucas had this meaning in mind when he named Fett's ship, but I'd like enough to yell, DEATH OF THE AUTHOR, before I throw a smoke grenade and vanish from the room. Another choice that seemingly wasn't thought through was the name of Darth Vader's flagship from The Empire Strikes Back, the massive superstar destroyer E-X-E-C-U-T-O-R. I spelled it out because this name is a homograph, either Executor, one who performs executions, or Executor, a person who executes a plan due to your function. Now, I think... Given the Empire's reputation and the relative commonness of the terms, anyone might be forgiven for thinking of the ship's intended name as Executor. Like Devastator, it's generally scary, and there are a number of other Star Destroyer names we've seen through the years that fit the same mold. Onslaught, Demolisher, Ravager, etc. 
But Lucasfilm has maintained that it was always intended to be Executor, in part because Vader executes the Emperor's will, and partly because Executor is actually obsolete. The modern word is Executioner. So for many years, that was the state of play, and then someone apparently got it into their head to have a do-over on this ship name, as it was revealed that Grand Moff Tarkin's personal Star Destroyer was called the Executrix, the feminine form of the word, which carries the exact same intended meaning about doing someone's will, and none of the baggage about executing people. Obviously, Vader's ship should have been called this in the first place, especially since ships are traditionally considered female. Weird way to handle a do-over, but I'll take it. The other original trilogy-era ship I wanted to mention was the Redemption, the medical frigate where Luke convalesces after losing his hand to Vader at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. This feels like a curious name to me, because the concept of redemption, as the word is usually used, has not much to do with healing or recovery. But I went and looked through all of Merriam-Webster's definitions of the word, and one stuck out to me. Emancipation or liberation through payment of a price. Luke has clearly just paid a big price, his right hand, and a chunk of his humanity. Did he become emancipated or liberated at all? It didn't seem like it, until I also checked Merriam-Webster's definition of emancipation. The act or procedure of legally freeing from the paternal power. In modern legal terms, this is when a teenager seeks freedom from the authority of their parents. It's not literally applicable to Luke's situation, but figuratively, finding out what happened to his father has turned the fantasy father in his head, I want to become a Jedi like my father, into a cautionary tale about how awful it could be if he follows his father's path too closely. So, to review, the name of the medical frigate could be a reference to how Luke's loss of his hand taught him to think differently about his father, or I could be reading too much into it. Looking into the details of how the Redemption was named, it first appears in a video game, and only later did Lucasfilm decide it was the same ship that Luke recovers on, I'm pretty sure it's the latter. So, uh, thanks for coming on this journey with me. Moving on to the prequels, let's take a moment to acknowledge the Vulture droids, the flying transformers that seem to make up the bulk of the Separatist fighter fleet. I don't really have anything earth-shaking to say about them except that they seem like that final proof that there really are birds in the galaxy and a fair number of different species. Of my two favorite Separatist ship names, one is a class of ship and the other is a specific vessel. The class of ship is the Lukerhulk. The best-known example of this class is the droid control ship from The Phantom Menace. The thing I love about this name is how incredibly on-brand it is for the Trade Federation, which cares for nothing but profits. So when they name their biggest type of ship, it breaks down as a word for riches and a word for a big thing. Rejected names for this class presumably included the Wealth Colossus, the Credit Behemoth, and the Money Gigante. The other Separatist ship name that I love, perhaps my favorite ship name in all of Star Wars, is General Grievous's flagship, the Invisible Hand. When I first encountered this name, I thought it was just a generically scary title, much like some of the Imperial ship names we already had, but I've since learned it's so much better. The term Invisible Hand was coined by an 18th century Scottish economist named Adam Smith to describe how free market economies naturally guide the rich to do things that better society for selfish reasons even more than if they intentionally were trying to better society. As an example, he describes the landlord who is selfishly obsessed with increasing his crop yield, despite the fact that he personally won't be able to eat all that food his land produces, since that food will get eaten by someone. This idea has basically become a religion for that class of economists that exist primarily to produce right-wing talking points about why we should reduce taxes on the rich to improve the economy, despite the fact that the greatest economic boom of the 20th century was during a time when the wealthy could see up to 90% marginal tax rates. I'm obviously getting away from Star Wars here, but this is a topic I'm kind of passionate about. Anyway, as you can perhaps guess from that little rant, I'm pretty firmly in favor of casting General Grievous, one of the most heartless and cowardly villains in the franchise, as a proponent of laissez-faire economics, because fuck laissez-faire economics. As a final note, 
while I was compiling my research for this episode, I got curious to find out what Queen Amidala's ship from the Phantom Menace, which had a pretty badass toy made of it for the action figure line, was officially called. I was absolutely bewildered to discover that it doesn't seem to have an official name. Its only designation seems to be J-Type 327 Nubian Royal Starship, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Now, I was already looking forward to E.K. Johnston's upcoming book, Queen's Shadow, about Padme Amidala's transition from queen to senator, but I find myself weirdly excited about the possibility that maybe she'll also give this ship an official name in that book. Thanks for joining me in this tour of an, in my opinion, underexplored area of Star Wars lore. And if you've got another example or just want to discuss anything I've said here, talk to me on Twitter at rhyrit or come to the Chipperish forums if you'd like to have a conversation outside of 280 character limits. If you'd like to support my work and the other great podcasts here at Chipperish, head to our Patreon page and chip in a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. You can also support any podcast you love by leaving a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and metaphors be with you. Mm-hmm.